0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Good morning, I'm glad to be here with you today, Um, gives me excuse to wear my suit and tie, and uh, you know, I had one person a few years ago, I was in in a wedding, and I couldn't tie a tie, and he goes, what do you do that you don't know how to tie a tie, and I was like, I work with college students, like, oh, okay, that explains it, Uh, yeah, so we work primarily with college students, and uh, we were, uh, my wife Sue and I, uh, were in East Asia, um, and uh, Several years ago, before I left, one of my trips, I had a big going away party, and uh, one of my friends, as he's leaving with his kids, pointed at me, and kids, look, a real-life missionary, and uh, I had a big chuckle about it, because, um, you know, he knew me from college, and sometimes we think the missionaries, they are these maybe uh, weird people, and maybe I'm a little weird, but, you know, little, or special, or extraordinary people, and he knows me, and I know myself. I'm nothing extraordinary, um, but there's... Uh, yeah, that God called us to that work um, was a great privilege for us and so I come to you as not as a person that is all together but as someone that is um, just a normal guy like you and so my wife sue and I have been uh, attending new life uh, just uh, under five years um, or um, I know that because we came to have our son Josiah we've been members for most of that time it took us about a year just to Turning the paper, we just kept on forgetting it at home. Um, But once we did that, we've been glad to be here, and soon we'll be leaving though uh, to go with the church plant, um, which we're very excited about. Um, Yeah, and our topic today—this is Mission Sunday—as you've, it's been a lot of things have been uh, shared about Mission Sunday. Our topic today is reaching the unreached. When I was asked to talk about reaching the unreached, I thought, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if we're not reaching. the unreached. Who are we reaching? You know, sometimes uh, you may have heard this thing. If you lose something, people say it's always the last place you always the last place you look. And, and there's a smart aleck comment to that, it's like, "Well, of course it's the last place you look because who keeps looking for something once you find it?" And that might be the way we think of reaching the unreached. Of course, we're reaching the unreached. And so, to introduce this, I want to say, who, who are the unreached? When, I, when we say the unreached, who are we talking about? Is it just our you know our our neighbor across the street we've been trying to invite to church, our coworker who has foul language? Um, is it the people that don't know Jesus? Well, when I'm when we're talking about unreached today, we're going to be talking about people groups, unreached people groups, and I've uh, to figure out how to use this thing. Um, in the Joshua Project it finds the unreached as this. An unreached or least reached people is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Uh, the original Joshua Project said this: the criteria was Uh, Less than or equal to 2% evangelical Christian, or less than or equal to 5% professing Christian. And so, when I talk about people group, you may think, well, there's about 350 countries uh, in the world, but really, you know, uh, it goes beyond that. Um, In the Bible, talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, they're not just different countries, but there's different peoples within these countries. So often, people may ask me, since I'm from Indian descent, do you speak Indian? And I would say, no, I don't speak Indian because I don't speak my parents' language. I know a few words. But even if I did speak my parents' language, it would not be Indian. There is no Indian language, right? There is uh, a language called Malayalam, which my parents speak, and over 300 different languages in India and over 1,000 dialects, right? So in, even in India, there are these different people groups. I was talking to a friend from Ghana just on Friday, and he was telling me, yeah, there's a central government here. But there's also these different tribes, where there's different leaders over these tribes that still are around. And so when we talk about people groups, we're talking about not just uh, countries, but these groups of people that are have a language, have a culture. And we believe that God is reaching out to, to each one of these different people groups. And so where are these unreached peoples? also uh, oh, of this, though, I say there's 9,800, there's different ways you can count this, but I'm going to use these numbers. 9,800 people groups and over 4,000 are considered unreached. And many, many more are considered minimally or superficially. So that means there's about 42% of the people in the world, or over 3 billion people, are unreached. And the majority of those people live in what's called the 1040 window. You can see the little uh, box there. And uh, it's the area that lies across Africa and Asia from 10 degrees latitude the equator to 40 degrees latitude north of the equator, and so that includes places like China, India, uh, Saudi Arabia, North Africa, the Middle East, um, where the majority of those people live. So now, the the second thought, if this is your first thought, is um, oh of course we're in recent not Now you hear it's about these people. If I can, if I'm doing something wrong here, um, now our thought may be well. Do we really need to reach the unreached? Do we really need to focus on them? Is foreign missions really that important? I mean, we have so many other needs here amongst us. There are all these people here in America that need Jesus, that don't believe in Jesus. This country seems to be decaying. There's no, uh, there's people that need, uh, need to be living in the gospel and understanding the gospel. Uh, shouldn't we just fix a problem here? Shouldn't we be focusing on that? Not only that, we have our own... Issues and difficulties here at the church that we need to take care of. Do we really need a missions team, or would an outreach team be sufficient? That we just go and you know we can uh, do missions to the people, to our neighbors, and those around us. Well, I think from the things that we've heard already this morning, we see that the God's that God's heart is for all peoples, for all for the whole world. And some of you may be thinking, "Yeah, well, I'm glad we just had this missions week." once a year, and get this over with. But I hope today that it show you a little more clearly God's heart for the whole world. We tend to focus, when we, have, we see our own problems and we, set, we see our own needs around us, we can get wrapped up in those that we care, just, care for ourselves rather than care for the world and the needs of the world. It's easy for us to get wrapped up in our own small little world that we miss God's heart and love and plan for the whole world. So today I want to read with you, we're going to look at um, the book of Acts. Book of Acts, and particularly chapter, Acts chapter 1. I believe if you have a Bible in the pew, it's going to be page 530. a book that tells the story of how God turned the world upside down. And it's also uh, relaying a story of the people of Israel, the the Jesus' disciples, and how God used them and what he did in their lives to bring about this. So we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and then verses 6 through 11. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now he, Jesus, presented himself alive alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, but... when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and he said, and said Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The same Jesus, Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven father we thank you for your word that you have given us in spirit we thank you that you illuminate your word to us we ask that you would speak to each of our hearts and reveal your heart and your love and that you will reveal sin in our hearts as well and that you would work mightily in us and through us in the world we praise all in Jesus Christ amen you may have a seat You can see clearly from here that Jesus calls his disciples to be witnesses to the othermost parts of the world. He's calling his disciples, and disciples are those who follow him. And if we are to follow Jesus and build his kingdom, we will follow him to the world and be involved in reaching the unreached. Now to explain this passage, to explain what's happening here in Acts, and to understand the history, we, we want to recognize that the people of Israel who are considered the people of God. They have been following God through trials and turmoils. They've been experienced much difficulty throughout their history as a people. And currently they're under Roman rule. There's oppression. There's a lot of uh, confusion. They've not heard from the prophets for a while. And they're waiting for a Messiah. You know, a Messiah like Moses who delivered them from Egypt. A Messiah like David who delivered them from the Philistines. They're, now they want to be delivered from, from the Romans. And Jesus arrives on the scene, and he begins to do these great miraculous things. He's teaching with authority, healing the sick, healing the blind, as we just heard about, feeding people, doing these great miracles, and people begin to think, is this the Messiah? The disciples are following him, and they begin to think, our problems are all going to disappear. And we know the story. What happens next? Jesus is put on a cross, betrayed by one of their closest friends. He dies, they are confused, and their hope disappears, and their problems seem to get bigger. Fortunately, just a few days later, Jesus comes back to life. He appears to them, he meets with them, teaches them, hope is restored. And so after some time, the next question is, will the kingdom of Israel be restored? Will our problems be, disappear? And I think what we'll see from this passage, the disciples' focus is on the kingdom of Israel, where Jesus is focused on the kingdom of God. And so as they ask him this, that question, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And at this point, their problems don't disappear, but Jesus disappears. But before he does, he gives them what's often called the Great Commission. And in this great commission that we'll see, that's in, we can see it in different passages of scripture as well, I think in here we see that in this great commission, he leaves them with one last charge, one last cor- a correction, and a comfort. A charge, a correction, and a comfort. So here's the charge. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Reaching the unreached as we may say now. Jesus is calling them to go to every person. Their focus is on, on their little area, their, themselves, and he's saying, he's correcting them. It's not just for the people of Israel, not just here, but it's the uttermost parts of the world. Pastor Brian alluded to this, or mentioned, not just alluded, but said it clearly, that this is not just a new plan of Jesus. I, I, was, I was thinking about it, it's like, they, they are asking Jesus restored the kingdom, and he's re- redefining the kingdom for them. But he's not really redefining it, because this has been clear throughout the scripture. We can see it even beginning in Genesis, when God calls Abraham. And he says, I'll make you a blessing, that you may be a blessing, that all people will be blessed through you. In the Psalms, it says, may, all, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. In Luke 2, even when Jesus is introduced, and the angels introduce him, it says... Uh, we bring you good news of great joy for all people. And we'll see it throughout, throughout the scripture. That this is God's plan and desire. And it always has been that all people would come to know Jesus and would worship God. And this may be confusing to some of us in some degrees because in our culture we're kind of we're told that, uh, you know, every culture has their own God. Every culture has their own traditions, has their own things that are unique and special to them. And there is some truth to that. There is things that are very special to each culture, that are very beautiful, the way that God created them. But there is only one God. He's the God of all peoples. He's the God of all nations. And there's only one way of salvation. And I think if we look and think about where this culture is and people start, we can go back to Genesis and see the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel shows that, that these different cultures are result of people rebelling against God. And so yes, these cultures add beauty, but by themselves they're not beautiful because they're rebelling against God. It is a redeemed culture that is beautiful. It is a redeemed culture that is redeemed by Jesus that it brings true beauty. So Acts 4.12 says, there's only one name under heaven given by, whereby man must be saved. Fortunately, God loves the whole world. John 3, 16, we, the common verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In 1 John 2, 2, says this gospel is not just for us only, but for all peoples. We see in Jesus, and he's walking amongst the people, that he sees the, the multitudes... And he has compassion on them. Sees them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. He has compassion. So this is the charge. This is the charge that Jesus gives his disciples. To go, to reach the unreached, to go to all peoples. But I think there's also, there's also a correction in here. And the correction is, they are thinking, they're asking about the kingdom of Israel being restored, and he's kind of refocusing them, Right? You're thinking about this, and I'm going to extend your view of what the kingdom is for. The kingdom of God is not just for one people. The kingdom of God is for all peoples. And I think it's, for us, our tendency is to focus on our small little world. Our tendency is to focus on us, on our own problems, our own needs. In our American culture, specifically, we have a very individualistic way of thinking. I mentioned John 3:16, right? God so loved the world. Now I remember as a kid, and maybe many of you have heard this as well, that when we read John 3:16, you can replace God so loved the world with, God so, God so loved you that he gave his only son. You know, I work with an organization where we use uh, little booklets to talk about God's love. And we say, God, God loves you and created, uh, created you to know him personally. And we use John 3:16 in that. And it's true that God does love us. That God loves the whole world. He does love us individually. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the individual that we lose the focus, that indeed John wrote that God so loved the world. He made a way, not for some people, some people groups, or just for the Jewish people, for those who are following the rules, following the law, but he made a way for all people. And I think, you know, our focus tends to be on our own problems, our own needs. When Jesus looks on, on the people and has compassion on them, You don't see anything about the disciples, what what their reaction is into that, right? Then the tendency is, you know, we don't even notice the problems. Jesus sees the the people, sees their needs. We don't tend to even notice it. And if we do, we might see them as a nuisance, right? We just, they just talked about, I don't remember the guy's name, Bartimus or something, the, the blind person. And what was the reaction? Be quiet, the feeding of the 5,000, He talked about that a couple weeks ago here with the kids, right? And they said, what was happening in that story? The disciples came to Jesus and said, these people need to eat. We need to send them away so they can, they can eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. But they how are we going to feed them? We can't do this. I, you know, this is a desolate place. And even in many of these stories, they're, they're tired. They're hungry themselves. I don't have to go very far to see this in my own life, right? I think, you know, I'm at home, I'm reading a book, or I'm doing something with my wife, and my kids will come and start asking for my attention, and it's so easy for me to see them as a nuisance, instead of as an opportunity for me to love them. I can be sitting in a Starbucks, and I'm reading a book, I'm working even on my sermon prep for this, and then someone comes and starts talking to me, and I can see them as a nuisance, instead of as an opportunity, for me to love. I think we can see this in a a more broader spectrum. We're driving in a car and we see a homeless person on the road and we avert our eyes. We don't want to be bothered by their needs. We don't want to be bothered by them. Really, anyone that disagrees with us, we just don't want to be bothered by that. We tend to look at our own problems first. They're immediate, they're right in front of us. I need to take care of them. And it's true that we, that we have needs and we don't neglect them. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses these people, addresses the people and says, uh, Let me turn here real quick. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then, verse thirty-three it says, "But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." He's correct; gives, gives them a correction. We focus on ourselves and our own problems and needs, and I think, in that, we begin to focus on people like us. You know, they're saying, "Restore the kingdom to Israel." Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I, th- I mean, I think that's. There's slogans that we probably can think of that sound very similar to what we hear in this country. Restore the kingdom of Israel. Take care of us. And we look at that, we focus on the people like us, people that are from our community, people who act like us. You know, we see the needs around us, so we want to take care of them. It makes sense. And to be honest, you know, if we see someone that dresses differently than us or eats differently than us, what's our reaction? You probably think, that's, that's strange. Like, I still think some of the food that my wife eats is strange, right? And it, there is a, someone posted on Facebook this thing, and everyone else is commenting, What is that? And my wife wrote, Yum! And it was kind of funny, you know? Um, we tend to think that if they're not like us, then, you know, there's something different, something wrong with them. We focus on ourselves. And not just people like us, but people we like. Right? That's probably what people of Israel are thinking, the, the disciples. We hear the story of Jonah, and he's sent to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. Now we think we don't want to go because of the discomfort or different things like that. He didn't want to go because he didn't want those people to believe. He didn't want them to repent. He wasn't afraid that they're going to reject him. He was afraid they're going to accept, accept God's offer of forgiveness. He saw them as wicked people, as evil people, unworthy of being saved. And we may think that too. Why why should we go to these places? Why should we go to these Muslim countries where they're beheading people, where there's Muslim terrorists, where they're just kind of completely disrespectful? Why should we go to these atheistic countries in China where they completely mock God and put him down and and laugh about him? Why should we go to these tribal places where they may make human sacrifices? These people don't, don't deserve it. But clearly, even this morning we said, that Jesus calls sinners people that are unworthy. Even the chief of sinners, Paul, was called. And he calls them to go to all people, not depending on whether they are good enough. In fact, we have a tendency for a small faith and a quick fix. And cross-cultural ministry is not easy. Someone accepting the gospel from a different belief system often does not come quickly. So what do we do? We avoid it. We run away from it. We want to do, we do the things that are easy and quick. These tend to be supreme values in our country. But cross customer ministry, reaching the unreached, likely not be easy or quick, will not be comfortable, will involve sacrifice and involve, require faith. And that leads us to the comfort. In all these things, he gives us a comfort. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're not alone. In Matthew 28, it, he says, And I will be with you always. We're not alone in this mission that he gives us. and it's, He will be with us, comforting us, taking care of us, leading us, and guiding us. And he empowers us. You will receive power. It's in, in actually John 16. It says, it's better for you that I leave. Because if I, if I leave, then the Holy Spirit will come. And it says, you will do even greater things than these. And the encouraging thing about that as well is Because the Holy Spirit is given to us and living in us. And it's a sign that God will use us despite our shortcomings, despite our sin. Even if we have these tendencies to value ourselves, to be selfish, to be uh, prejudiced, to not care for other people. He will will work in our heart and he will forgive us and he will empower empower us in a spirit, not of fear and timidity, but of power and love and sound mind. In a church history class I I took several years ago, uh, the teacher said, in the the history of church, we see that God always works through sinful people to accomplish his good purposes. God always works through sinful people to accomplish his good purposes. And I think even though God can do, God does amazing things, and he can work without us, he doesn't need us, he can work supernaturally, we still see that God uses his people and invites us to be part of his work. In Acts 8, as we read on, there's the story of an Ethiopian eunuch. And he has a scripture. But God sends Philip to him. And he explains what the scripture says. And he's baptized. In Acts 10, there's a man named Cornelius who is devout. Um, and he's like, he's, uh, he prays and he gives alms. And he even has a vision from, from God. But he still sends, God still sends Peter to him. And so even in this, going back to the previous thing, even if people have a scripture, or even if people have good knowledge, that's not enough. Even if they're devout people, that's not enough. They need to hear the gospel. They need to understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them in order to be saved. But God will provide the way for them to hear the gospel. God will provide the way for you to hear the gospel. Several years ago, there was a a boy um, from Bangladesh, which is a primarily... Muslim country, I believe. And not very many Christians. And he went to study at the university in Istanbul, Turkey. The city of of Islam. He went to study there. And as he was there, he heard from a friend who had heard from a a friend who had met some Americans who were Christians and talking about Jesus. And so Sonny found the phone number, three three people down somehow, called this number to these uh, group of American students, one of which was myself, and called us. We had no idea who he was. And he said, I'd like to meet you. And so Sonny met us at the big mall in Istanbul, Turkey. He met me, a uh, probably 19, 20-year-old uh, boy from whose parents were from India, a place that's predominantly Hindu. And Chris, who is, was who is Australian-born, uh, not a very uh, a place with a lot of Christians, he met the two of us and we shared the gospel with him, and Sonny gave his life to Christ. It is kind of amazing to think that God would take a person from Bangladesh, take him to Istanbul, Turkey, have him meet an Indian and an Australian, and share the, and have him hear the gospel so he can believe in Jesus. And he hears it from some random person, a friend of a friend of a friend. That same summer I was there, we handed out. Uh, we decided we wanted to show the Jesus film in their language. It explains the story of the Book of Luke, translated into Turkish. We handed out flyers throughout the city, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of little flyers as people were getting off the ferries, going between us, the Asian and uh, European side, big shopping areas, you know, um, quite a few million people lived there in Istanbul. But only two people showed up. One of my friends came, which I can talk to you about him some other time, and this guy who was Kurdish, and he like. He only came, he didn't get a flyer from a person. He was on his way to the European side and he saw a piece of paper on the ground, picked it up, it was upside down, turned it around, and he turned around himself and went to our event. During the movie, he was, we could hear him weeping. After the movie, he, he told, told the people, I've been having dreams of a, this person. I've been having dreams and I looked and on this piece of paper was the man in my dreams. And the, and the picture was a person that was a person portraying Jesus in the movie. And as you watched that movie, you heard about Jesus' love and compassion and how Jesus died for his sins. And afterwards, the, the men there explained to him how you can have a personal relationship with God. God works in amazing, outstanding things that ways that we would never expect. He works in people's lives. He is going to draw people to himself. He is going to reveal himself to people. And there's so many, so many more stories I could share about that. In the end, in Revelation seven, it says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. It's going to happen. Well, yeah, so if we are going to follow Jesus, we will follow him into the world. This is a call to his disciples. We may ask, is this apply to us? And this is to the disciples, you know? Does this mean we have to leave, leave our country? Well, we're not these disciples here, and so there's some differences. We're not living in Jerusalem, Judea area. We don't have these neighboring Sumerians. So I think there is some, something fair to say that you know, we want to reach our country, the people around us, and go out to the world. But I think from everything we see here, this is really just a focus that, that Jesus is redirecting their thoughts. That the kingdom of God is for all peoples. And his heart is for the whole world. Not just for some people, not just for a few people. But it's to reach out. and extends greater and wider. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, a church that wants to build the kingdom of God, we must have concern for all people, not just for ourselves, we will love the whole world as he does and we will participate in reaching the unreached. And so I think the other interesting thing about this is it says we will be witnesses. And so it's an ongoing thing, not just doing a witness here or there, doing it one time. But it's about following Jesus, walking with him. And so even if you've gone overseas once before, given to something, this is still something that we can strive still more. And the question I ask for you is what is, what is your next step? What's your next step? I'll share briefly my story. You know, it was about 20 years ago, about 20 years around this time that I had made the decision to go on my first international summer mission to East Asia. Now I'm the least likely missionary. I mean, My parents will tell you that. That's what my parents have even said. This is the, you're the least likely missionary. I grew up in Indiana and I love Indiana. I, everyone else wants to leave Indiana. I want to stay here, you know. I, I like it. I like my hamburgers. I like my meat and potatoes you know, and I don't like trying new foods, I didn't like to travel, I'm terrible at language, and I didn't want to go. But as I began walking with the Lord, began following him, reading his word, going on different um, opportunities where I was growing and learning about my faith and surrendering my life to Jesus, I began to see God's heart for the world. And so I was on this summer mission state, a local stateside mission in Traverse City, Michigan, and all half the other students were like, I'm only here because my parents wouldn't let me go overseas. And so on my way back home from that, uh, I was in the car with my parents, and I knew I needed to, to surrender this to God if I was going to follow him. And I thought, OK, I'll just ask my parents and they'll say no, this, you know, we don't want you to go. And I'll be like, I'll be OK so I was like, I'm thinking about going, maybe next year I'll go overseas. And my dad says, yeah, that might be a good good next step for you. And I'm in the back seat tired because I didn't sleep the night before. And I'm like, uh. Uh. Now my parents have no recollection of that conversation when I applied to go overseas several months later. It's like, I don't remember that. Um, but in God's timing, he allowed that conversation to happen so that I would see and I would begin to recognize that, yeah, the majority of the world doesn't live here. The majority of the world lives... Around- elsewhere. We're just a small portion of people. And the majority of those other people, like, they have no access to the gospel. You know, I was at Spring Break, so I was really close this time. I heard this speaker, and he was a missionary to Turkey, and he said, you know, if we take all the Christian workers, nine out of the ten of them are working with Christians, and only one out of ten are going to these unreached peoples. And it's like, I, I want to trust God with that. But to be honest, easy, even after that, it's easier for me to focus on my own comforts, my own needs, even while I'm in East Asia, it can be easy, when I was there, to just be like, you know, I don't really want to go and have another conversation with this person in, in broken English, it's draining, it's tiring. Not, I don't know if they're going to accept, accept what I'm saying. It'd be easier for me to go back to my apartment and watch a movie that's in English and eat some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups that I got from America that I can't get here. right? And so oftentimes I would go to the second floor one of the, one of the restaurants that I like to go to, and I'd look down on the street where hundreds of students would pass by every day to go to restaurants, to go back to their dorm, and I look at them and I see the multitudes. You know, but unlike, unlike Jesus, I have to admit that not every time would I look at them and see them as sheep scattered without a shepherd and have compassion on them, you know, I could see them and I look at them and say, well, they look to seem like they seem okay, they seem like they're having fun. Or these people are like they're smoking or they're doing like some weird things or they I know that person, they were kind of mean to me. It's like, you know. And so I will pray, Jesus, give me compassion for these people. Help me to see them as you see them. Help me to see the reality of who they are, what their condition is, but what they need. Help me to see them as you see them. Help me, give me that love for them. So maybe that's where you're at well, what will be your story? What is your next step? I think taking a step of faith involves moving away from safety and comfort. It means sacrifice. It means labor because it's active. But I'm going to give you three ways, common ways that we've probably heard. Start with prayer. Start with prayer. Physically, we can only be at one place at a time. Right? I can only be here. I can't be multiple places. But God, however, he can be everywhere. And when we pray, we have influence on a place that we're not. We can have influence on a place that we're not. We can follow Christ in the world by praying for these other countries, other peoples. Even by just sitting in our apartment, driving in our car. Austin shared yesterday at the Men Meet Missions about a church in Texas, I believe, that began praying for a group that they called the Tau People, that was an unreached people that had no known believers. They began praying for them about 15, 20 years ago and they would pray for them diligently. Eventually, they decided they were gonna go over to East Asia, and as a result, Austin, I guess, came up, came up to them and was able to introduce them to actually, to some of the Tao people who had come to Christ. Their prayers, I believe their prayers were powerful and labored on their behalf. Um, David Bryant, in the book In the Gap, has this quote, prayer is action, prayer is powerful. By it, we step out in advance of all the results. Praying is an activity upon which all others depend. By prayer, we establish a beachhead for the kingdom among peoples where has never been before. Prayer strikes the winning blow. All other missionary efforts simply gather up the fruits of our praying. Being overseas, and even here currently, we send out updates. And we know when people pray for us. It's, it's pretty incredible how quickly things begin to change. The power, the peace that we experience when people pray for us. Your prayers are powerful and meaningful. And so you can get missionary prayer letters. I believe we have seven missionaries that we, we support. So you can take one each day of the week and pray for them on a weekly basis. I believe some of the prayer letters are out in the back. You can get them. I'm not sure where they're located. But you can find them. You can contact them. Pray for them. So start. Another way you can pray also this is I wanted to introduce operationworld.org. And through this, you can get, learn information about different countries it may give you an awareness and compassion for people. There's even sometimes videos on some of them that show people speaking their language and show pictures of the country. And you begin preparing for the people groups as well through that. The second thing is send resources. Send resources. That means maybe sacrificially giving financially on a monthly basis. I think I, there's statistics that Americans spend more money spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets each year than they spend on foreign missions. They spend the same amount of money on dieting programs than they do on foreign missions. That may require some sacrifice to give. I'm not saying to not give to new life, not give to our needs here, but to give sacrificially to help. You can send not just financially support, but send care packages. You can send those Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are like gold, as you say. Um, Chick-fil-A sauce, I heard is something that you guys like. Sweet Baby Ray's, things like, you know, these, send notes. I know a lot of you guys have done that. And we can send people. We can send our people out there. I talked about parents. Many times, the biggest obstacles for for people going to the mission field are parents who do not want their kids to go. And so in sending people, maybe the next step is to step out and go. Step out and go. There are short-term trips available to East Asia. I believe they're looking for one more girl to go on this upcoming trip. In a couple weeks. There's opportunities in summers, opportunities to go on a specific mission trip. Perhaps you can go through your job. You know, Larry Belcher has been able to go. And you know, if you don't go, there's opportunities for your job. If you don't go, someone else is gonna go. And some of those places they don't interact with any Christians, but if you come there, you may not have a ton of time, but you can you can express the gospel, express who Christ is. And lastly, we have opportunities here with international students. As Pastor Bob said, I work with Bridges International, and there's plenty of opportunities with international students here at Ball State. We have have weekly dinners that we need people to help provide dinners for, to provide food. There's maybe people that you may just interact with that you may see at the grocery store, at a Starbucks. You may hear them talking, yesterday I was there, and I heard heard this, this family there talking. Clearly not from this country. It may be awkward to step up and initiate those conversations. It may feel a little strange, but there's opportunities right around us. And we love, if you're interested in helping with international students, we'd love to resource you. There's also a friendship family program through Ball State where you can take uh, a student and be committed to like, to meeting with them and getting to know them. If you're gonna follow Jesus, we will follow him into the world. If, we're going, if we want to build the kingdom of God, we must have concern for all people, not ourso- just ourselves. We will love the whole world as he does. We will participate in reaching unreached. To close it up, though, Jesus is returning. He says, men of Galilee, the angels say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at heaven? This Jesus, who is taken from you to heaven, will come in the same way. He is returning, and his reward will be with them, and it will be great. And he's in returning after the gospel is preached to all peoples, he will return as as his plan is fulfilled that we see. And so in a sense, we can advance his return as we preach the gospel and reach the unreached. And what a beautiful thing it will be when we'll join. We'll join with the angels and we'll join with the nations to worship God. And I imagine there will be people that something that we